Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through his word. Be blessed. Blessings to everyone in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, in the name of Jesus the Christ. Today we're going to be looking at 2 Thessalonians. First of all, I want you to go back and review the historical background of 1 Thessalonians that we looked at prior and see this background because it's very important to understand the historical background. Everything that we're doing is about original intent. Also, go back to Acts chapter 17 and read again how this community of faith was established in the city of Thessalonica. Part of the background was that there were Jews that came to faith. Remember, a Jew that comes to faith is not leaving his Judaism, but he is understanding true faith through the Jewish Messiah and through the Jewish people. The gospel is coming to the whole world. So when you look at this, there were Jews that came to faith. There were also people from the Hellenistic background. I believe they were Gentiles that were coming to faith as well. And it mentions prominent women. Now, Paul and Silas are only in the city for, we know, of three Sabbaths. So at least three weeks. We don't know how much longer beyond that. But they did not have a long extended time of ministry within this city. He goes on from there to Berea, and in Berea, it says in the book of Acts, it says that the believers in Berea were more noble than the believers in Thessalonica because they received the word of God, they received the gospel, but they checked everything that Paul and Silas was saying through the word of God. That means that they were going back to Isaiah and Deuteronomy and back to the Psalms, back to Jeremiah and checking everything that they were saying through the scrolls that they would read. And so they were more noble in Berea than those that had come to faith in Thessalonica. Now, when we look at this, what it is saying is that the people, the believers in Thessalonica were not individuals that consistently were checking the word of God for their belief system. And that's something that we want to emphasize as we go through both of these letters. Everything that we do must be checked by the word of God. So now Paul is at Corinth. Paul is writing back to some problems that have developed in the community of faith at Thessalonica to encourage them, but also to straighten out some of their beliefs about the end times. Now remember, Jesus has come, he has died, he has resurrected, and the gospel is coming through the resurrected Lord, but the question remains, when is Jesus coming back again? That could have come up from the very beginning for those believers. And so while Paul was there, he taught them concerning these things, I believe, primarily or probably from the book of Daniel. And that's an extremely important question when Jesus is coming back, especially when you are in trials and tribulations and persecutions. And, and as, a, as we read earlier in 1 Thessalonians, that was the foundation of their hope, to know that there is redemption at his coming. Yes, and trials and persecution normally you know, brings these to the forefront. But I believe it should be at the forefront of everything that we do. Mm -hmm. Even when we're living in a time of peace and prosperity 
And I can remember growing up here in America that we always had a message about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. But it's been 20 or 30 years since I've been in a church here in America where there has been a real emphasis on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. We don't see it as much. We don't have it emphasized as much or preached to us because we're living in a time in which the church is more consumed about self-development, about our future as far as prosperity and life here on earth. However, we must be concerned about our future in the context of His coming because our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship is with the kingdom of God, and that must always be our focus. So believers around the world that are involved or have heavy persecution that is coming against them have more of an emphasis on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. In the first letter, every single chapter, now the chapters are added later, but every single chapter has an emphasis on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we come to the second letter, we're looking, especially in chapter 2, is some wrong teaching has come concerning the timing of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So much and more specific than the first one, I guess, is what you're much saying. Much more specific, and it goes into the catching up again mm. at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the man of lawlessness being revealed. Because some have come and said that Jesus has already come back. That's what we believe, or we assume that some bad teaching has come because Paul is trying to straighten out the order of his coming, the day of the Lord, and the catching up at his coming. So we're going to see that in chapter 2. But first of all, I want us to read chapter 1. If you don't mind, Yoni, to read chapter 1, and I'm just going to emphasize the important things or some of the important things from this first chapter, and then we're going to jump right into chapter 2. So let's open up your Bibles and let's read chapter 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you towards one another grows even greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God, for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed, for our testimony to you was believed. To this end, also, we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Yoni. And let's look at this first chapter. Paul 
and Silvanus and Timothy, and Silvanus is another name for Silas or Silas. This letter represents them. They are in Corinth, writing back to the believers in Thessalonica. So one thing that we see from this first chapter is that the persecution that drove Paul out of the city, if you'll go back to Acts chapter 17, you'll see as they were driven out of the city, that persecution upon the believers is continuing. Mm. However, their faith is strong. Their love for God is strong. Their love for each other is strong. And they have a great testimony to other communities of faith from this church that is in Thessalonica. Mm-hmm. Now, that is something that I want to emphasize that is very important to me, that even though the believers in Thessalonica were not as noble as the ones in Berea because they were not constantly checking the Word of God for whatever reason, they didn't have a determination to constantly and consistently to go back to God's Word for what they believe. There was a genuine faith, there was a love for God, there was a love for each other, and they had a powerful testimony. Hmm. And so... That's pretty impressive. It is. And uh, we have a tendency to look down upon people that don't really know the Word of God like they should. But think about new believers when they come to faith, how powerful their testimony is. They may not know everything from the book of Isaiah, They may not know about Jeremiah. They may not know the details of the end times according to, say, Daniel or Zechariah, but they have a a supernatural faith and a love for God and a love for each other, and they have a passion for the things of God, and the fruit of the Spirit is within them, and it's producing a testimony for the kingdom of God. Hmm. Now, they do need to grow up, and part of maturing is knowing the Word of God. That's one thing I want to emphasize here. They're going through persecution, but their testimony is strong. Also, another thing that we see, say in verse 6 of this first chapter, for after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Vengeance belongs to God, not to us. So what does Yeshua, what does Jesus teach us about those who hate us? Mm. To love those who hate us. Mm. For those that are cursing us, how do we respond to that? To bless them in the name of the Lord. Mm. And so as we're looking at a life in the Spirit, Paul is reminding them, it is not in our hands to go and to afflict them who are bringing affliction against us, but that is in God's hands. Mm. And that is also part of God's plan of salvation. The plan of salvation, as you look into the Word of God, is twofold, two-pronged. One, God's mercy and God's grace that comes for those who believe, and God's judgment for those who are rejecting the plan of God. And here we see that God will bring judgment upon those that are afflicting the people of God. And you see that in verses 7 and 8 and in 9. Look at verse 9. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. So when we look at this chapter 1, 
And this is something that we don't hear about in the Western culture today. We're afraid to talk about God's punishment, God's judgment, the destruction that comes upon those not only that reject him, but that persecute other believers. It is a biblical truth that's all the way through the Bible, Hmm. from Genesis to Revelation. And if we're going to bring the whole gospel, the whole truth to this world, It's not just that God has saved me and God has changed me from the inside out and I belong to God today, but it is also a message to those that are rejecting the good news. Destruction and judgment is your future. Mm -hmm. And we have the responsibility to give that to them, just like Jeremiah did, just like Jesus when he sent out the 70 or the 72 disciples. If they reject you, Jesus says, shake the dust from your sandals as you leave that city or to leave that place. Interesting. So what you're saying is, from your reading of this, it's, it's a twofold thing. On one side, we shouldn't be seeking or having a vengeful heart because we need to be committing that to the Lord. To whom, who, to who owns vengeance? Who's going to be you know, d- displaying his vengeance? Um, and we just commit that to God. But on the other hand, too, we almost have a duty as a watchman, if you will, Um, to tell others, hey, your disobedience is earning you the wrath of God. Yes, and it's speaking the truth in love. Mm -hmm. Now, we're living in a world that has defined love as tolerance and political correctness, that you have to be careful of what you say to someone. Mm -hmm. Do not call it sin. Call it a mistake. Do not talk about hell. Only talk about heaven. Do not talk about Mm -hmm. judgment. Only talk about redemption. Mm -hmm. And so by doing that, we're bringing a half gospel, half truth, and we're not really presenting the Word of God, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, to a world that desperately needs the good news. And so part of that good news is that if you receive, God's salvation has come, but if you reject, the judgment of God has come upon your life. Mm -hmm. And what is waiting for you is eternal destruction. Paul is reminding them, and I like how you said it, is that we have to put things into the hands of God. Our salvation is in the hands of God, and also the ability to persecute those that are persecuting us is not in our hands. We place that into the hands of God. God is the one that vindicates us. God is the one that stands behind us. Our response to a world that hates us is to love them just like Yeshua loved them. The same life of Jesus is the same life of his disciple. We take up our own cross, we deny ourselves, and we follow him. That is so clear in this first chapter in understanding the historical background of the believers in Thessalonica. So read for yourself this first chapter. Thank you for reading this first chapter for us, Yoni. And now let's move into the second chapter. Because now we're getting into some developments from a negative standpoint within the body of the Messiah because of their lack of understanding of God's Word. And Paul's going to write back to them and straighten out their theology, which hopefully will straighten out our theology as well. Because we have a lot of systematic theology that has come into our understanding about the end times that's not biblically based. Mm -hmm. And this second chapter of this letter is so important 
that we understand the chronology of what has taken place that lines up exactly of what is being said in God's Word and other places as well. So if you don't mind, again, let's read the second chapter. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes the seat, his seat, in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan and with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence, so that they will believe what is false, in order that they all may be judged, who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this He called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who has loved us, and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strength in your hearts in every good work and word. Amen. And thank you again for reading it. I love to hear God's word just read out loud. Mm -hmm. And as we go through these chapters, uh, never just rely upon me speaking about what is being said. But for those that are listening, read it. Go back over it. Read it over and over again. The flow of thought is so important to developing the context of everything that is being said. Mm -hmm. And again, going back to our hermeneutics, the chapter and verse divisions, which are great blessings, can also become a great deterrent from people knowing God's Word. So continue to read. Go mm -hmm. from the beginning to the end. Something that is so powerful here that we've emphasized uh, the first letter and now in the second letter. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gathering to Him are always depicted and always taught together, mm -hmm. never separated. You see that in verse 1. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him. Now when you go back to the first letter, chapter 4, when you look at it, the question is, what happens to those that have died before His coming? At His coming, the dead in Christ will rise first. 
those who remain will go next, and we will meet him in the air. Mm -hmm. They're not separated from his coming. That later is going to come through what's called dispensationalism, but they're always together. Mm. And I guess it's even clarified even more in, in, in chapter, or sorry, in verse two, chapter two, verse two. It's identifying both the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him. It summarizes both of those as the day of the Lord. I'm so, so glad that you mentioned it together. that. Yes, because we were going to get to that. They're yeah. one and the same. Yeah. What brings in the day of the Lord from Zechariah hmm. is when he puts his foot on the Mount of Olives, Zechariah 14. Hmm. What brings ultimate destruction or judgment on the wicked? It is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the coming of the Lord. Mm -hmm. So how is God going to put his foot on the Mount of Olives? When his Messiah, his son, comes representing God, coming in the flesh and putting his foot on the Mount of Olives, destroying all the nations that have come against Israel. Mm -hmm. You see, they're not separate events. They are always together. One other passage in Matthew 24, I encourage you to go and read Matthew 24. But what is going to bring an end to the great tribulation? His coming. What happens at his coming? He gathers his elect from the four corners of the earth. Hmm. So they're always together. They're never separated. But what happened through dispensationalism in the 19th century that came into what we call our eschatology, our, our understanding of the end times, is that we had two men from England, and I think we mentioned this in First Thessalonians, that came to America that started teaching there's actually three comings of the Lord Jesus Christ. His first coming, His silent coming, and the literal coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when He puts His foot on the Mount of Olives. And they separated that by seven years or three and a half years, the catching up, the gathering unto himself with a time span. Mm -hmm. Now, probably that is coming about in a Western world that wants to try to escape persecution. They had never experienced persecution. Mm -hmm. Like many of the believers in the past or believers in other parts of the world, how could God ever allow his bride his church to go through the great tribulation. I don't mm. want to get into all of that, mm. but what we know for sure in the chronology of what Paul teaches, what Daniel teaches, what Zechariah teaches, the day of the Lord in his coming and the catching or the gathering up, the rapture unto him is all together, mm -hmm. never separated. And it almost seems to be clarified. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. In verse 3 and 4, when it says, don't be deceived. It's not His coming will not happen until the man of lawlessness is revealed and He sits in, sits in the temple of God displaying Himself as being God. So until, I, I, and I'm, I'm assuming this is referring to the Antichrist, is actually taking His seat. He's not going to come until then. Yes, and we're going to get there. We are, hmm. because there's three specific things that have to take place before the day of the Lord, His coming, and the catching up to the Lord. Mm -hmm. So let's go back to verses 1 and 2 again, and then we're going to jump into exactly what you're talking about in verse 3. Mm -hmm. That in verse 2, someone possibly by a spirit or a message, someone coming and saying, this is what the Holy Spirit is saying, and bringing forth a message, 
and, and maybe even attributing it to Paul, because look, or a letter as if from us, mm-hmm. that the day of the Lord has already come. So this coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, this catching up to him, the day of the Lord has already come. And these three things, again, the coming of the Lord, the gathering to himself, the day of the Lord are seen together as one event. Mm-hmm. And someone has said it's already taken place. Now, remember, these are young believers. They believe whatever is coming. Sometimes new believers, they just accept whatever is being said, if, especially if you put it in the, con- in the context, this is what the Holy Spirit is saying. Hmm. And they're so open to that. Instead of checking it by the Word of God, they're saying, hey, this person says he represents Paul, and the Holy Spirit is saying the day of the Lord has already taken place. Now, Paul had already taught them what has to take place before the day of the Lord. And he's going to remind them of what he taught them in the past. He only had a short time with them. But let's see. Let's jump into verse 3 now from what you are talking about. Let no one in any way deceive you. For it, what is it? Think about it. What is the flow of thought? What is the context? The day of the Lord, which is represented by his coming, and the catching up to him. Mm -hmm. For it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. Mm -hmm. Now, how can we understand this apostasy or this rebellion? This rebellion, I think that we can understand it from a scriptural standpoint of a world that is rejecting God, rejecting the plan of God, rejecting the kingdom of God and is actually doing everything to rebel against the things of God and the word of God that is happening in the world. Some have seen this as a rejection of God within the church. Okay. Now, I cannot, That's how I've heard it. Yes. Hmm. Now, but can we say that specifically? We can assume that, but I'm not... I, I would be hesitant to say that this is talking about a falling away from the body of Christ. I'm not Mm. saying that it's not a possibility. But it's not necessarily that explicit as to which one it is. That's correct. Oh, okay. But in the world, we can say this in general, in the world there's going to be a great rebellion away from God, Mm. the Word of God, the Gospel. Which may or may not include the church. That's correct. Mm. Because if you translate this apostasy then an apostasy are those that are going away from the truth. But we must see it in the flow of thought is we're looking at the world that is coming against believers and that there is persecution that is taking place, that there is going to be first that takes place within the world a great rebellion against God. And that could include within the body of Christ as well. Mm -hmm. So I'm not excluding that, but I'm saying we must see it. We cannot make more out of it than what is being said here. Hmm. So first will come a great apostasy before the day of the Lord, which is including his coming and the catching up to him. Secondly, like you read before, the man of lawlessness is revealed. Now this is where I really believe that that Paul has taught to them from the book of Daniel, 
from the scroll of Daniel. Because in the scroll of Daniel, you have the little horn that's in the third kingdom, man's kingdom, and the little horn that is coming from the fourth kingdom that's going to represent a rebellion against God, a a rebellion against the people of God, and will promote himself and boast about himself. And I believe the man of lawlessness is this anti-Messiah, this antichrist that this is coming, little horn. this little horn that mm. will represent man's kingdom. Mm. And set himself up as king, right? If yes. I believe, remember correctly. That mm. will, if you get to Daniel chapter 9, that he will try to bring abomination against the people of God, but God will cause abomination to come upon him. Mm. So he will represent man's kingdom, demonic kingdom, that will be destroyed, but God's kingdom, Daniel chapter 2, will never be destroyed. God's kingdom is based upon the Son of Man, whose kingdom can never be destroyed. That's Daniel chapter 7. Mm. But in Daniel chapter 9, there is this, this man that is coming, this prince that is to come, that is representing man's kingdom, that will try to bring abomination against the people of God. Mm. So I do believe that this man of lawlessness does represent that little horn in the fourth kingdom of Daniel that represents the Antichrist. Yeah. So he taught about a great rebellion that's going to take place and a man of lawlessness that would be revealed. And he is described as the son of destruction. And remember, if you go to Daniel chapter 9, this little horn, this prince that is to come is trying to bring an abomination against Israel, the people of God, Hmm. and trying to destroy them. But God's going to turn that destruction upon him. And that's exactly what's going to be taught by Paul later on in this chapter. So the man of lawlessness has to be revealed before what? Before the day of the Lord. Before the day of the Lord. Which is, again, both the coming together of the saints and and his coming. Yes, his coming and the gathering up to him, the day of the Lord, are seen as one in the same. And that is scriptural as well as you look at other parts of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Again, Zechariah 14. What is the day of the Lord? Where is God going to bring destruction upon the wicked? At his coming. Mm-hmm. So we're never seeing this separated in the word of God. Again, as Paul is teaching, he's doing the same thing. Let's read verse 4. Who opposes, this is the man of lawlessness, and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship. So this man of lawlessness that is coming is going to exalt himself and saying, I am above every God. And he's going to demand worship. And I believe if you look at other parts of scripture, the world is going to give devotion and worship and they're going to serve him. He's going to exalt himself. He is going to be the man of peace in their eyes. But he's going to be the man of destruction against the people of God. And so he's going to exalt himself and take his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. So how is he going to exalt himself? He's going to take himself within God's temple, take it as his temple, and declare himself God in the temple that is there to honor God, he's going to say, this is my temple, and you should worship me. Hmm. 
So there are three things. What are the three things as we look at this before the coming of the Lord, the catching up to him, which is described as the day of the Lord, that has to take place before all of these things come about? What are Mm -hmm. those three things? Well, it seems to say the apostasy. That's one. And then the revealing of the man of lawlessness. That's two. And then would you say it's the the taking his seat in the temple of God and displaying himself as being God? Yes, which we Mm -hmm. must say, understand this, unless you just understand this symbolically, Mm -hmm. that there must be a third temple rebuilt in Jerusalem where the man of lawlessness is going to take as his headquarters of his temple and the world Mm -hmm. is going to see him as the Messiah, as the man Mm -hmm. of peace and worship and serve him. But he's the man of lawlessness. Hmm. So what does that do for our understanding of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Can Jesus come at any time? Scripturally, can he come at any time? I grew up understanding we believe in the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He can come at any time. We, We know the seasons... But Scripture is very clear. There's a, there's a series of events that need to occur. Yes. So we must redefine imminence, mm-hmm. or we must understand the imminent return of Jesus Christ is not a scriptural principle. Mm-hmm. Because if you go to Matthew 24, Jesus does say, recognize the season, and all of these things must take place. And what is the main thing that takes place that brings about the great tribulation before mm-hmm. his coming? It is the abomination that causes desolations, Mm. Daniel chapter 9. And so when you look at that, we must say, all right, there must be an Israel again. There must be a Jerusalem again. There must be the Jewish people in Jerusalem again in control of the city, 1948, 1967. Mm. There must be a great apostasy that takes place in the world. There must be a man of lawlessness that comes on the scene, the little horn, the Antichrist, and there must be the temple of God established in Jerusalem Mm -hmm. that he's going to take as his place of worship. Mm. And not just there must be an anti-Messiah, but he must also be revealed. Yes. He can't be some, oh, I have theories, maybe it's this, or theories. This is saying he'd be revealed. Yes, and he will, and a part of that revelation of who he is that he's trying to bring to the mm-hmm. world. Now, the world that's in apostasy are going to, will see him completely different from the word of God. The word of God, he's the man of lawlessness, but to the world, he's the Messiah. Mm. He's the man of peace. Even, I believe, Israel will accept him as the man of peace. And I, and I don't want to get into other areas of eschatology, but if you go into Daniel chapter 9, he will make a covenant with the many. The many is an idiom for Israel, all the way, or for the Jewish people, all the way through the Hebrew Scriptures, through the Tanakh, through the Old Covenant. And so there will be a covenant with the many, Israel, in the 70th week of Daniel. That's what Daniel chapter 9 is about, that last week of Daniel, the, part, the end of it, the 70th week of Daniel. Or I should say the 70, 70th unit of seven mm. in the book of, of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9. And if we understand the 70th week or the 70th unit of seven of Daniel at the end, which is what I teach when I teach uh, Daniel chapter 9, that it will happen at the end of time. 
then we are looking at a description of that by Paul to the believers at Thessalonica. So three things from this passage that has to take place, just a reminder, before the coming of the Lord and the catching up to him, which is described as the day of the Lord, because some had taught the day of the Lord has already come through a prophetic message or a saying that Paul had said this through a letter or something of that nature. This was deception. This had not taken place. Jesus had not come back. The rapture unto the Lord had not taken place at his coming. The day of the Lord has not come, but these three things have to take place before that day. Mm -hmm. A great rebellion takes place. The man of lawlessness is revealed to the world. And thirdly, he would declare himself God, revealing himself Mm -hmm. to the world in the temple of God. These three things we know for sure before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the day of the Lord, and the catching up to him takes place. Remember this. I'm going to stop at this point, and then we're going to pick up in the next podcast as we go through this letter. These things are fundamental of our understanding of the end time. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, teach us your word. And Lord, let us understand these things clearly in our hearts and in our minds. Our salvation is at your coming. And Lord, help our eyes to be upon you. You are coming. We are saved, O God, but our salvation is coming as well. Lord, we stand complete today, and our completion is coming. The kingdom of God is now, and God, your kingdom is coming. And Lord, let our eyes be upon the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our hope, our salvation. He is our soon-coming King. And Lord, this is not our future. This world is not our future. Our future, our hope, our redemption is in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for this. It's in His name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at integritygm.com and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.